Welcome to our podcast. Each week we will have a different podcast, different speakers, different chants, different Dharma talks. But mindfulness practice in Buddhism helps us focus and helps us be aware. And this program will consist of many different ways of meditating. We will begin uh, sutra chanting. Sutra chanting is actually a portion of a sutra that we will chant. Uh, Most sutras are far too long to be able to chant in one sitting. So for us, uh, we're usually chanting a verse out of a longer narrative or prose. And that's why uh, each line consists of perhaps four or five or seven characters. When we chant, we read from left to right, just like in English, and we move down the first column and then we move to the second column, and so on. Open circles uh, represent bells uh, for the chant leader to ring. So we always begin a sutra chant with two bells. Whenever we change a section, we use one bell to kind of signal that we're changing uh, from one section to another. And then when you end a sutra chant, you always end with three bells. Each syllable here is written in Romanized characters, English characters, and each syllable here represents a kanji, a Chinese character, and it's written phonetically. It's the sound of the character. The vowels have the same pronunciation independent of location or their neighbor. So this is different from English. And the vowel sounds, uh, I've been told, resemble those in Spanish. So we have A, E, I, O, and U, and they're pronounced A, E, E, O, and U. And then uh, you'll see... uh, Italicized lines, uh, those are leader lines that I chant alone. And you will also see underlines under some of the characters. And that means that rather than each character getting a single beat, an underlined character will get a beat and a half. And to kind of make up that little extra time, the next character in line will only get a half beat. And what you do is you don't really concern yourself too much about the meaning of what's being chanted. This isn't flashcards. We're not trying to learn something. This is a ritual. And so we chant together as a feeling of oneness. Don't worry too much about how you're doing. Be aware and mindful of each character. Uh, This is a form of meditation Uh, rather than silent meditation. We're meditating through sound. So, you know, you see the character, you say it, you forget about it, you move on and you say the next character. And over time, it becomes effortless and you'll begin to memorize it uh, without realizing it. Today, we're going to chant the Shoshinge on page 63. This is the Gyofu style. It is more elaborate, more melodic. Some people love it. Some people maybe don't love it. It's a little harder, but it's more melodic. It has more of a rhythm. So in that sense, it's more enjoyable to chant. It has more dynamic range. It's more active. And here we have the musical lines when necessary. So whenever we change a section, We'll put up the new melody if necessary. The Shoshinge was written by Shinran Shonin, the founder of the Pure Land Jodo Shinshu tradition in Japan in the 11 and 1200s. This is his kind of magnum opus. It's 60 couplets, 120 lines of seven characters each. So again, a giveaway that you are chanting a verse or poem. And it comes kind of in different sections. He begins by kind of explaining the basic teachings of the Pure Land Way. And then he talks about the seven Pure Land Masters. 
And then he closes uh, with saying, take refuge in the great teachers of the past. And so we chant that from page 63 all the way to page 68. And then we jump to the Nembutsu Wasans. Also, uh, these are poems that were written in Japanese. So everything we've chanted so far has been in either Pali or Chinese kanji. Now we're going to actually chant in Japanese. Shinran wrote these in the vernacular for the Japanese people so they could read it and understand it. So this is a very poetic explanation of his religious depth and spiritual consciousness. And there's leader lines, and we go all the way from page 76 to page 81. And again, we close with the ekoku, but the melody's a little bit different. And if you can read music, you're in good shape. This is a little bit more involved, but it's a very meaningful. And then another example of melody is on page 69, Shoshinge and Sofu style. In general, every fourth line goes down. And then there's also a Zendo portion that becomes more melodic in both the Gyofu and the Sofu style. Uh, that's on page 71, the third measure. Zendo, Dokyumyo, Bushoi, Koai, Josanyo, Gyaku, Aku. But just listen along. Don't worry about perfect pitch. And again, we come to the end on page 72. And again, jump to the Wasans on page 76. And all of our chanting, except I think for the Mita Sutra, is all in English. We have English translations, either in verse or prose or sometimes both. But you really need a commentary or a teacher to understand it because it's very uh, non-literal. It's very symbolic. It's poetry. And it helps to have somebody kind of explain the metaphors and the analogies. So we will begin our chant now. Oh, 
Yeah. 
全道と苦名不祥
namo amidambu namo amidambu namo amidambu namo amidambu Oh, oh. 
夏の小林木はもなし Na-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da
Please join me in Gasho. Namandats, 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 Namandats. Dancing for Joy. In mid July, the Orange County Buddhist Church holds an Obon festival. During the festival, many people come to the BEC book sale booth in front of the Hondo and ask us where are the koi fish, the bonsai trees, the displays, and the demonstrations. I always smile when this happens, and I explain to them that they are thinking of the Hanamatsuri festival, which is held each year in mid-April to celebrate the Buddha's birth. I found this very interesting because each year I used to come to the Hanamatsuri festival and ask, when are we going to dance? And those around me would smile and explain that I was thinking of the Obon festival. To memorize which festival was which, 
I would repeat to myself that Obon is the festival with dancing, but I no longer think this is quite right. Today I think it's better to say that Obon is dancing, but I have had a very difficult time with this. I could not explain why Obon is dancing. Dancing seemed too simple to be the meaning of a major Buddhist festival. I was always looking for some other meaning to Obon other than dancing, but this was a big mistake. Throughout Buddhist history, dancing has been used to symbolize the spontaneous joy that accompanies insight. Even in America, we use this phrase, dancing for joy, to describe someone who's completely overwhelmed. Many times we use this phrase figuratively, but its origins are more literal. People who have experienced a sudden realization literally and involuntarily dance for joy. A simple everyday example of this is all the dancing that occurs after a goal is scored in the World Cup. However, rather than achieving a specific goal, Buddhist examples of dancing occur after sudden insight into the entirety of one's life. At Obon, we focus on the spontaneous dancing of Moggallana. Moggallana was one of the Buddha's two main disciples. After his mother's death, Moggallana was tormented because she was not as devout a Buddhist as he had hoped she would be. He was embarrassed by her and felt that he should have had greater influence upon her. After self-reflection, Moggallana realized that he had it backwards. It was his mother's profound influence upon him that enabled him to become one of the Buddha's great disciples. For the first time, he realized that she was the bodhisattva that had led him to the Buddhist path. At that moment, he spontaneously began dancing with joy. Traditionally, it is this story that is used to explain why we dance at Obon. However, many stories like this can be found throughout Buddhist history. For example, there was a great Chinese master named Tsung Mi who lived in the 8th century. Tsung Mi's interest in Buddhism began at age 18, after the death of his father. His initial awakening experience occurred six years later, after reading several lines of the scripture of perfect enlightenment. It is said that his awakening experience so overwhelmed him that he found himself spontaneously dancing for joy. Though Tsung Ming's awakening experience was certainly sudden, it is very significant that it did not occur during meditation, but instead occurred after reading several lines of scripture. It is this experience that led Tsung Ming to caution others not to merely replace the study of the Dharma with the practice of meditation. In this way, Tsung Mi is known as a Buddhist synthesizer. So far, we have had an example of Indian dancing with Moggallana and an example of Chinese dancing with Tsung Mi. I would like to conclude with an example of Japanese dancing. It may be a bit surprising, but Shinran, the founder of our tradition, also frequently uses the analogy of dancing for joy. The phrase dancing for joy appears in the collected works nine times each time describing the same overwhelming joy that occurs when one realizes insight. The following appears to be one of Shinran's favorite quotes from the larger sutra. It appears in the collected works of Shinran four times. The Buddha said to Maitreya, If there are persons who, having heard the name of that Buddha, leap and dance with joy and say it even once, know that they receive the great benefit, that is, they acquire the unexcelled virtues. I believe that Shinran emphasizes dancing with joy because it captures the feeling he had when he first heard the Pure Land teachings from his master Honan. 
This is the same feeling of overwhelming joy that Mogalana and Sungmi both experienced. We dance not so much in honor of Mogalana, but rather we are spontaneously dancing with joy in honor of sudden enlightenment, of sudden insight, of insight that occurs through the self-reflection of Mogalana, the study of Tsungmi, and the deep hearing of Shinran. This is why we dance. So whether you have the dances memorized or not, please remember there are no wrong steps when one is spontaneously dancing for joy. Please join me in Gashou. Namandouts, 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 namandouts. This concludes this meditation service. Uh, I hope you feel grounded. I hope you feel different than when you began. And this feeling you have, uh, I hope you take it with you out into your everyday life. Uh, it's important to develop these qualities in a controlled environment like this podcast. But the aim is for the effects to begin to bleed out uh, into your everyday life uh, naturally. Uh, my wife once sent me a meme on Facebook that said, uh, yoga works, but only if you show up. And I feel that way about Buddhism and about meditation. Uh, it surely works, uh, but only if you stick with it. And uh, you have to get to the point where it becomes something natural and effortless in your life. And if you have high expectations and you're trying to rush the process, uh, you actually retard uh, your ability to change over time. Uh, you don't want to grasp it. You don't want to hang on to it. You just want to experience it uh, in a regular practice and integrate it into your everyday life. So thank you very much for coming. Uh, I will close with Gasho. Hands together and we will bow. Namandouts, 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 namandouts. This program was performed by Reverend John Turner, executive producers Reverend Marvin Harada and Jim Scott, produced by the Buddhist Education Center of the Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA, directed and engineered by Reverend John Turner, edited by Jim Scott. This program includes excerpts from Time Stood Still by Riley Lee, used with permission. Copyright 2019 Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA. All rights reserved. For more information about this or other products, groups, and activities, BEC classes, or temple services, visit us on the web at ocbuddhist.org or at our online school, everydaybuddhist.org.